0: Well, it is the middle of the holiday season, amen, Christmas season, this week is the big week, all the kids are getting excited and everybody's wrapping their last presents and the husbands are getting their presents for their wife, right guys? Everybody's uh, checking things off, going to family get-togethers, all those kind of things. I don't know about you guys, but uh, one of the things that's in the mix for our family when we have these celebrations, when we have sort of the Christmas season is uh, our family likes to watch movies and christmas movies during this time of year unfortunately christmas love stories it seems like and thanks to netflix there's no shortage of how many we can watch and i give my i give my girls a hard time i say girls listen i mean it's the same story i mean the lady okay there's going to be a lady pretty nice lady and she's going to have a jerk for a boyfriend, and she's either engaged to him or she's going to get engaged and almost married at some point during the program, and there's going to come this other kind of decent guy into the mix, and he's going to sort of wiggle his way in, and, and all the family's going to recognize that the other guy's not good for her, and they're going to end up together. I mean, 15 minutes, I got this. Let's move on. Amen? <laughs> And the girl's like, well, what a fuddy dud, you know, just be quiet. They, they, they sit there on the edge of their seats like, this one's going to be different, right, you know? But anyway, you know, one of the things that I've noticed about all those movies is uh, there's like a moment, there's like this realization, there's this look, and, and I, I put a few of them up on the screen from some of my, some of my girls' favorite, now listen, th- that look you're seeing on the screen, you know what it is? It's, oh my goodness. I've been looking for love my whole life, and I didn't realize that it was right there before me. Seriously, I captured every one of those. Those are the moments when she realizes that he's the one. We laugh about that. We laugh about that. I mean, it's kind of funny. I mean, it's true, ladies. I'm sorry. But anyway, we, we laugh about that in those movies, and I give my girls a hard time. But you know what? There is, there must be something to that, or they wouldn't keep writing them, right? There must be something to that desire, and guys, it's not just for ladies. There's there's a desire in our heart that we're hungry, that we're looking for someone, that we've been waiting all of our lives for that person to show up. And tonight, we're going to turn to a passage of Scripture that uh, some of us may be familiar with. I mean, if... uh, Certainly, uh, it's a part of the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2, if you want to turn over there in your Bible. You may have heard it uh, at church, you may have read it yourself, I mean, certainly a part of the Christmas programs. Hey, if you just watched Charlie Brown Christmas, you're going to get this one, because Linus does a pretty good job of reading Luke chapter 2. But as we start out in the story there, uh, you know, the Bible tells us uh, that uh, there was a decree that went out. That the Caesar, the ruler of that time, he said, hey, let's, you know, I, I want to tax everybody. And so everybody's kind of go back to their hometown, to the place that their family's from. And you've got to, uh, to register yourself to get ready for the census, for the tax. And the Bible says that Joseph and Mary were a part of that. They left Nazareth uh, in Galilee, and they traveled uh, probably 60 or 80 miles. If they had went straight as the crow flies, it would have been about 60 miles. But because of what we know about How the Jewish people traveled most of the time, they probably avoided Samaria, and it was probably more like 80 miles, so that probably would have taken them maybe four days, uh, really fast, but when you're carrying a mama, carrying a baby, it probably would have slowed down a little bit, maybe they were with a caravan, it could have taken as much as as a week for them to travel that distance, but the Bible says they finally got to Bethlehem, and uh, while they were there, the time came for Mary to have the baby, and she had Jesus, and Uh, They had to put him in a manger, they had to put him in a feeding trough because there was no room for him, uh, for them to get a room. Then the Bible tells us that uh, some of, if not the first people that got to hear this amazing story were people called shepherds that were watching their flocks and the angels came and the shepherds came and we see the story of them going through about verse 20. But uh, picking up in verse 21, the story changes a little bit and I find that many people don't really aren't really as familiar with this part of the story but it says in verse 21 that eight days after jesus had been born he would have had to have been circumcised and uh, during that time he would have received his name and they had already been told what to name him so he was named jesus and then it says when their days of purification came and so there was a process for a jewish lady that uh, after she had had uh, had a baby and specifically after a male baby it would have been 40 days after the birth there was kind of a purification process, and then in addition to that, the Bible tells us because Jesus was a firstborn son, there was an aspect of dedicating to the Lord. You can write down Leviticus 12 and Exodus chapter 13, some of the background for those, uh, some of those things I just mentioned. By the way, we do know from this passage that uh, Mary and Joseph probably were not well off. Sometimes there's speculation about that. But because of the offering that they gave in verse 24, it's very likely that they were not well off. They were poor people. And so what it says in verse 25 is really where I want to focus, uh, focus on with us tonight. The Bible says, And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. Now that term was kind of a Jewish term from what we can tell that, that it was uh, for hundreds if not thousands of years, the Jewish people had been looking for their Savior, for the Messiah, for the Rescuer. And so there was this term that they used of that hope that they had, that the Comforter of Israel was going to come. And so here was a guy named Simeon who was part of those, that remnant of people, of God's people, who trusted in him and who were looking for that Savior. The Bible says, and the Holy Spirit was upon that man. And it had been, listen to this, it had been revealed to him, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Isn't that amazing? God had told him, before you die on this earth, we don't know if he was an old man. It doesn't really say for sure, but we kind of get the implication that he was pretty close to, to the end of life. But it says that the Lord told him he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple right at the time when the parents were bringing the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. And then he took him into his arms and blessed God and he said some things. Give me a little bit of a minute to get myself in the costume here, okay? Imagine for yourself, just a minute, this man in Jerusalem. He walks into the temple and he sees this little baby. He says, and now, O Lord, you can release your servant in peace. Just as you told me it was going to happen. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have put on display in front of all the people's a light of revelation for the nations and the glory of your people, Israel. Can you imagine that for just a minute? Can you imagine, I mean, parents, let's say you came to New Hope and you were doing your baby dedication. And can you imagine someone coming up to you after the service and saying something like that? Somebody saying to you, hey, you don't know me, we've never met. But I just got to tell you that I just, I just have a sense that God wanted me to share with you that there is something special about that child and that God is going to use your baby in a way that you can never imagine. Wouldn't that be incredible? Or, or if you were in the maternity ward and, and, Dad, you were just standing there looking in the glass and you saw your baby and, and you were just kind of watching him there and, and, and somebody walked up and said something to you like that, just said, uh, Hey, you see that baby right there? I just really believe that baby. Has a big purpose for his life can you imagine that tonight well tonight what I think about even more than the parents is I think about Simeon think about it for just a minute if you saw a baby how would you know this right I mean Jesus didn't have a halo contrary to the pictures right He didn't have angels flying around him, you know. It wasn't like uh, he stood up on the edge of the crib and was, you know, beginning to teach the multitudes or anything like that. I mean, here's a guy that comes into the temple and he sees a baby of all the children and he notices that this child is the one that God promised for his people and that God had said to him that he would see before he left this earth. As I think about that story tonight, it just causes me, does it cause you to think, would I have recognized Jesus? Even as a little baby, if someone whose heart was open, like Simeon, was able to do that, would I have been able to recognize him? I want to encourage you tonight, first of all, by saying this. The Bible says, write this down, that those who want to know God will find him. Did you know that? Those who want God can be confident that they will find Him. There's, very, there's something very interesting in the Bible. There's this contrast between there are some people that you would expect automatically would know God. Okay, They're just kind of the givens that these people will know God and they'll find Him. Then there's some other people that maybe you don't, uh, that don't know as much about God. But even though they don't know as much about God, the people who did know about God missed Him. And the people who didn't know as much about God actually noticed and found Him. Let's talk about some of those people tonight. Have you ever heard of Herod in this story? Okay, King Herod. We know him as Herod the Great. That's what people call him in history, Herod the Great. Herod was actually, uh, many believe, was, was part Jewish. In fact, uh, uh, my understanding is, is that his family had converted to Judaism when he was growing up. He lived right there among the Jewish people. He built one of the great wonders of the ancient world, the Jewish temple. He built that. Not only that, Herod was about four or five or maybe six miles away from the Savior when he was born. And you know what? Not only was he just a few miles away from Jesus when he was born, but he actually was told that Jesus was born there. And actually, from what we know, Bethlehem was not a huge city. So if Herod had had an inkling about wanting to truly find God, guess what? He could have found God. He was surrounded by opportunity to know God and to find Him. Yet he totally missed God because of his pride and his selfish pursuits. If you know anything about Herod, he was a murderous king who is obsessed with power, he was obsessed with building, with leaving a reputation of building. It's been said that he killed his brother-in-law, he killed his mother-in-law, he killed all these family members because he was so obsessed, he was so afraid that they would usurp his authority and take over his throne. He killed his brother-in-law, his mother-in-law, he killed his favorite wife. Now that's kind of a a weird thing to say. But, But... but apparently, out of the many that he had, there was one he really, really liked, but apparently not enough not to kill her, okay? As far as I know, he killed three of his sons, and he killed hundreds of his military leaders and the Jewish leaders of the day. Not only that, who else did he kill? He killed the children. He killed the infants. We don't know, but if there were 500 people in Bethlehem, that would have been maybe 20 to 50 children that had been murdered when Herod gave that call for execution, so that's Herod. What about the religious leaders? Think about the scribes for just a minute. Let's say we had some people in our church that we said we don't have a printing press, and we all need a Bible. And you know what? Mine's kind of wearing out. I do need a new one. Mine's sort of wearing out, and so uh, I need another Bible. We don't have a printing press. Can somebody? Can somebody be devoted to making sure that we keep the Scripture? written and providing God's Word for people to read. Would you think those people were pretty spiritual? Wouldn't you? Here's some people that, I mean, have you ever tried to write a page out of a book? Have you ever done that before? That's very difficult. I I encourage you to go home and just try to write a page out of a book. It is very difficult not to make mistakes. But these guys were very meticulous about copying God's Word in exact detail. And you would think they were reading God's Word, they were, they were honoring it in the sense of treating it with such care and with such, with such devotion it appeared to be, but nevertheless, they missed Christ. The Pharisees, they had made a commitment to be devoted to the Bible in every detail. I mean, even to minute detail, even actually their biggest problem was they made up a lot of details, okay? That was probably their biggest problem. There's nothing wrong with being committed to God's Word, amen? Amen. But they had gotten so into religion, basically, taking God's Word and breaking it down and following it to the letter, letter that they had written up, even more than God had said. In fact, let me give you some examples. They said that a woman, that you couldn't work on the Sabbath, so since you couldn't work on the Sabbath, a lady couldn't look in a mirror on the Sabbath because you might see a gray hair, and if you pulled it, that would be working. Okay? Okay? They said that Jesus said, you know, they were obsessed with tithing so much so that when they had a little bit of uh, spices in their kitchen, they wanted to make sure that I gave God exactly 10% of that spice because I want to make sure that I'm tithing exactly what I'm supposed to. But listen to this, even though they were so exact, seemingly in their face, someone said no one has ever been more religious than the Pharisees. But at the same time, no one has ever been further from the kingdom of God. So much so that God could be right there. That God himself was born five miles away. And that many times throughout their life, they were actually physically in his presence, but they didn't want to know, they didn't even care, they didn't even notice. That's some of the people who should know about him, but didn't. By the way, if you grew up in the United States, I think we need to be very cautious that we're not people like Herod. That we're not exposed to and very familiar with God's stuff, but not impacted by it. Would you agree with me? If you grew up in church, listen, let's take it another notch. If you grew up in church we should be very careful because it's very easy to become a Pharisee. It's very easy to be a person who's highly familiar with God's stuff, but to have completely the wrong focus. Amen? Those are people that should have known about God, but let's talk about some who shouldn't have known, but they found Him. What about the wise men? We call them the kings. I don't know if kings is actually the best terminology. Wise men, we call them the magi. And actually, magi kind of helps us to see a little bit better of what these guys were really all about. It's kind of hard to describe, but they were sort of teachers, philosophers, doctors, astrologists. I mean, basically, these guys were guys from the east that were seeking truth. Okay? They were trying to understand. They were trying to track down what is true, what is right. What is knowledge? They were trying to to understand those things. That was what they had devoted their lives to. Now listen to this. Apparently, they had heard somewhere the prophecy in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. There is an obscure prophecy that that gives the indication that the Savior of the world was going to be associated with a star. Wow. Wow. They didn't have much, but boy, they really responded to it, didn't they? They also, I bet you, had read Daniel chapter nine and Daniel nine verses twenty-four through twenty-seven. Did you realize this? Some of you may not know this, but go back and read your Bible. If you had been paying attention as an Old Testament person, you could have pretty much—you couldn't have said when he was going to come exactly. I don't believe, but you could have pretty much kind of narrowed down when the Savior was going to come because Daniel nine actually give years from a point in the Old Testament that the Savior was going to come. It's very possible that these men had dug into, by the way, remember 600 years earlier before this, who had lived in that area? Daniel had. 600 years before and his writings were there and, and, and maybe those men had gotten his writings and they had studied them so much and looked at them so carefully what little they had that here's a group of, how many kings are there? How many wise men? That's the song we sing, right? Why do we say there's three kings? Because of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Actually, it's possible that there was a whole caravan of them because Matthew chapter 2, I think it's verse 3, seems to give the indication that they caused an uproar when they came into the to, into Jerusalem. So it's possible there were even more. We don't really know. But we do know that they traveled as far as probably Babylon or Persia, which was about 500 miles. Okay? So if these men traveled about 500 miles, and I, I don't know about you, but I've never rode a camel or anything like that, but I'm, I'm thinking it was probably pretty slow. Amen? From my understanding, it probably took them a month or two to make this journey. What they bring with them? They brought gold, they brought frankincense, they brought myrrh. What was gold for? Gold was the kind of gift deserving of a king. What were they saying? When they brought him gold, they were making a statement that we're bringing you gifts worthy of a king. They brought him frankincense, which was an incense, which was an aroma that was used in worship. It was something that you would use to offer up to God. They were saying, you're the king and you're God. We worship you. They brought myrrh, which myrrh was a substance that was used for embalming. It was symbolic of suffering. So somehow, listen, these guys that lived hundreds of miles away shouldn't have known all this. Somehow God had worked in their heart. They had responded to that and they were really getting it, weren't they? I mean, I'm impressed with them. They didn't have Sunday school. And they knew it quite a bit. They had responded to the little that God, at that point, that they had been able to receive because their hearts were hungry, they were searching, and they were open. What about the shepherds? They were more local, certainly, weren't they? But they were a little bit more not scholarly. They were a little bit more blue-collar. By the way, I found out this week, I never knew this, why it's blue-collar, white-collar. Apparently, in the 1800s and the 1900s, when factories really started taking off, people used uh, kind of a uniform or a suit. Many times, men in the factories would wear suits, and apparently, many times, they were blue, and so that came to be known as blue-collar. And then people who maybe dressed up in more of an office kind of setting with a tie, that became known as white-collar. But certainly, if you were a shepherd, that was seen as more of a blue-collar kind of job. If you were expecting God to come to highly refined scholarly intellectuals, the shepherds would be a little bit rough around the edges. Anybody watch those shows like Most Dangerous Catch or things like that? Anybody ever see those things? Okay, I like to watch them. I don't know why. I like to watch them, but I can't hardly. You know why? Because of the language. Those guys are rough, aren't they? I mean, those guys are tough. You go out there, you make a lot of money in about three months, but you may not come back. I mean, so everybody at home gets a check, but, you know, there's no wimps out there. I mean, those guys are rough. I mean, can you imagine a day if Jesus came, He was born in this world, and the first people He talked to was a construction crew. Those guys are tough, aren't they? Some of you guys have worked in construction. No wimps on top of buildings, amen? Driving nails. Carrying shingles. Okay, That's the kind of people that the shepherds were. Luke, in general, gives us this idea over and over again that God's message is for anyone and everyone. It's good news for the whole world. And it's not a given assumption that someone that you think might receive it will, and it's not a given assumption that you think... That someone you think wouldn't receive it want. Isn't that good news for us? Is it good news for anybody in here? I see heads, but I don't hear you. Amen? It's embarrassing on TV and radio, okay, if you guys don't say something when I say amen. Amen? Amen. amen. Thank you. Yes. All right, so those who want God will find Him. The Bible says, if your heart is open, you'll find God. Listen to uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. He says, You will seek me. And find me when you search for me with all your heart. I love this. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Does that wash over you tonight? I will be found by you. If your heart, the qualification here tonight is a hungry, open heart. I can do that, amen? With God's help. I don't have degrees. I don't have pedigree. I don't have whatever. I don't have anything, but I have an open heart. Thank you, God. But secondly, listen, those who want God will find him, but secondly, when they find Him, they surrender. Listen to me, we could say they worship. One of the reasons I, I didn't put "they worship" is because some of us would interpret, oh, yeah, we'd have a song service. you know We'd just stop there and you know anybody if we came to the manger, we'd stop and we'd sing a few songs. We let ourselves off the hook by thinking of worship in that way. Worship truly is not just singing a song and moving on about your business. Worship is surrender. I give myself to you. I give myself completely to you. And there are story after stories in the Bible about people who encounter God and how they respond to that encounter. Let's think about some. What about some of the negative ones? We we talked about the Pharisees, the, the scribes, the religious leaders. They were constantly challenging Jesus. They were constantly fighting with him. They were constantly opposing him. They were constantly seeking to silence his voice, not to hear his voice. Doesn't that break your heart? Dear God, help that not to be me. Amen? Help it not to be me, God. They were seeking to silence his voice, even seeking to kill him. They were not searching. They were not surrendering I am very concerned that the church in the United States is a lot more like Pharisees than we give ourselves credit for. We are very steeped in stuff. But it's possible, is it not, that our hearts are far from the one true God? Is anybody with me? We need to be careful before we dismiss ourselves in that way. If you're here tonight, it, the, the question ought to be, is this me, Lord? Not, oh, that's not me, Lord. Okay? And if you have that response, I, I just want to encourage you to ask the Lord to tenderize your heart. And you know what? Very quickly, if you say, is this me, Lord? He may say, no, my child. I love you. You're walking with me. You know, you know we have a relationship. But we all ought to keep that tender heart. Amen. Because there's something that happens where people's hearts get cold like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What about the rich young ruler? Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 23. Here's a guy that had some interesting questions. He seemed to be open. He seemed to be searching. But the conversation got to a point where he said, I cannot surrender. I cannot give my life to you. I mean, he was interested in the Lord. He was open. He was asking questions. But when it got down to it and God got close, he says, I can't handle the life change, especially a change in my standard of living. That was the difficulty for him. And then what about the crowds? All through the Gospels, there are people that show interest in Jesus. There are people that, listen, listen, followed Jesus they weren't truly what? Followers of Jesus. They weren't truly disciples of Christ. They hadn't truly surrendered their life to Him because when it got hard or, or when it came down to make your decision, what they said was crucifying. But then let's talk about the positive ones. There are many examples. But what about the lady with the perfume? Remember that story? Mark chapter 13 is mentioned several times in the Gospels. But Mark chapter 14, the Bible tells us that what she gave to Jesus, she gave him this costly perfume, and really the Bible says it was to prepare his body for his, for his crucifixion. What she gave to him, now listen, it says it was worth 300 denarii. That's about a year's worth of pay. Let that sink in for just a moment. How much? Do you make in a year? Okay, you thinking of that number? Okay, don't laugh when you think of it. Or don't cry. Okay, how much do you make in a year? Do you have anything in your house worth that? Okay, probably most of us don't. If you did, would you give it to God Outright? You see what that lady did? She took in her whole lifetime her most prized possession, and it seems easily wasted it on Jesus. There was no question that she was going to give it to him now listen friends' we're, the 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 curtains coming back a little bit on our understanding. Yes, we've had some warnings, but let's get the positive when the When the curtain opens up and you say, oh my goodness, I'm in God's presence, there's no holding back. Amen? There's no, well, I think I'll. When we truly understand who He is and we're in His presence, it's just all me. And that's not even enough, Lord. Amen? But it's all I got and I give it to you. What about the wise men? How many of you in your life have went on a two to four month pilgrimage? Don't you to think about that for just a minute. What would it cost to go on a trip like that to seek God? It would be pretty expensive financially, wouldn't it? How would you explain that to your family? Oh, yeah, we're just setting out. I mean, we're just going. You know, we believe God's over here, and we're going to set out on this. Per- think about what they sacrificed in order to get there and, and explaining it to other people. And then when they got there, think of the lavish gifts. That they poured out on their Lord when they got there. A baby. All out surrender. Amen. What about Simeon? Simeon says, you know what? Listen to this. I have been waiting all my life for this moment. Now, my life is complete. There's nothing else to experience. God, I can depart from this world in peace. Because I've been... In the presence of the Lord. It was all out. Surrender to Him. Friend, listen. If you've only been interested in Christ, be concerned about that tonight. It's good to start in the direction of the Lord, but continue moving forward. Don't just stay there. You're not just interested in Him. The question is, do you recognize Him for who He is and have you given your life to Him? You know, as I say that tonight, I could probably hear some of you saying, "Well, Pastor, you know what? If I had been there, I would. If I had been there, I would have given my life to. I would. I would have bowed at that manger. I. I would have. If I had seen him walking on the streets, I would have followed him. I would have believed his teachings. I would have given my life to him. But friend, listen. The last thing I want to share with you is this: He can still be found today. You now, one problem we have sometimes is thinking that God worked back then. Did you hear me? One problem we have is we think that God worked back then. And some of that is just a misunderstanding that needs to be clarified, and I want to maybe be God's servant to do some of that tonight. But listen, some of it is just excuses that need to be challenged. We tend to think of... Back then, as the good old days, but listen, from what I read in the Bible, we're living in the good old days. Do you hear me? We tend to think of back then as the good old days, but from what I read in God's Word, we're living in what God's people have looked forward to. Listen to John chapter 16, verse 7. In fact, I want you to read, I'm going to read this verse as you watch on the screen, and I want you to read the parts that are underlined. It says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage Jesus said that I go away for if I do not go away the helper will not come to you but I will send him to you the bible indicates that while jesus was on this earth he limited himself he did not cease to be god but from philippians chapter 2 we get we get the clear teaching that jesus limited himself Because he had a purpose of accomplishing our salvation on this earth. And you know what? While it would have been cool to see him while he was here on this earth. Listen. He was in kind of an earth suit for a little while, right? Okay. So God condescended. Contained. The God of the universe contained in the human bodies. Unbelievable. Seems like it would have exploded on impact. Amen. God came to that level was in that kind of earth suit. But listen, if he stayed in that earth suit, he says that would be a disadvantage to us. It would have been cool to see him. But now it's actually for him better to get out and be able to be in all of ours. Did you hear that? Jesus went on to say, he says, listen, I've left my spirit in John chapter 16. I've left my spirit to teach you to work in your lives, in your heart directly. You wouldn't have to travel to Bethlehem now to see me. I will come directly, not even to you, but in you. It's unbelievable. I'm going to send my spirit to teach you how to trust me, how to live for me, how to get ready one day to give an account of your life to me. And and he says, listen, that spirit, he, he works in each one of us and he works. Christ is working through each one of us in this world. Listen, there's a sense in which Jesus couldn't have done all that when he was in that earth suit in this in this world. So, when he ascended back to the Father, he sent his Spirit to live in all of us, and now he can go global. Amen? So, through his Spirit, through his word, listen, through his people, Jesus is more present in this world than ever, certainly not less. In fact, I told you these might be the good old days right now. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, and verse 39 tell us that the people in the Old Testament. had a a little bit of an idea of what we were going to get, and they they marveled at that day. They looked forward with great anticipation to what we were going to experience in our day. So watch this. If I were ever going to respond to God, I would respond to Him now. You see, what we want to say is, no, if I had seen him, if I had heard him, if I had been there with him, but Matthew 12, verse 39, Jesus says, really, open hearts don't need signs. Open hearts don't need miraculous. Open hearts, when they come before God and encounter him in whatever whatever form, whether it was walking here on this earth, or whether it's now that his spirit works in our lives, open hearts will recognize God and receive him. And listen, this is powerful to me when I realize it. If I would not respond to God right now, I would not have responded to him then. That really does it for me. How about you? I want to show that I am a God follower. Amen? I want to show that God is working in my life, that I'm open to him, that I'm hungry for him. And I want to respond to him when he says now is the time to do that. There is no better time in all of history to respond to God than right now. And you can show that you would have been a Christ follower in the first century by being one in this century. It's unbelievable. We you think about tonight, if you walked into church with your little infant, And somebody here that you have never met before walked up and said what Simeon said to his parents. It's unbelievable, isn't it? I pray that I have such a hunger and a thirst and an openness to God that no matter how He chooses to encounter my life, I would say, there's the Lord. That's God. He's speaking to me. And I'm going to respond to what He has to say to me. I want to ask you to bow with me for a moment. As we think about those things together. I'm so thankful that here at New Hope we have many people who... You know what? You say, I've never been a part of church. I don't know much about the Bible. But I'm open to God. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to understand. You know what? Sometimes... People in that place feel like, you know what, I'll never quite be what somebody else is, or I missed out. Well, there's this thing called grace that does a lot of catching up, okay? And the good news tonight is this. I hope you've heard loud and clear. If your heart is open to God, it doesn't matter what your background. Praise God if you had a Sunday school church background, amen? There's nothing wrong with that. But is your heart open? You know nothing about God, very little, or you've been in church for 50 years. The real question is if He showed up tonight and spoke to your heart, will you respond to Him? If you're here tonight and you say, I'm a Christian, the Bible says that sometimes we need to examine ourselves to see if we be of the faith. Maybe tonight you would just say, I just need to check myself, Lord. Have I been playing games? Have I, have I been going through the motions? Have I been doing church for 10 years, 5 years, 20 years? But Jesus, I cannot say with 100% certainty that I've given myself to you, that you are my Savior, that I've surrendered my heart and life to you. Why don't you do that tonight? You find yourself becoming dangerously close to a Pharisee. Very surrounded, but slightly cool. God would just check that tonight and say, let's get back into that intimacy, that tenderness, that closeness that we once had. Father, we thank you tonight that we can find the one always been looking for because of Christmas. Because you came, we can be saved, we can be forgiven, we can have a relationship, we can have confidence and security. Dear Lord Jesus, tonight if there is someone that has never trusted in you, I pray that tonight would be the night that they'll they'll truly be able to celebrate Christmas this year with great joy. If they would just call out to you and say, Jesus, please forgive me. Please save me. I'm I'm so sorry. I've missed it. Thank you for saving me, God. Thank you for your grace. Father, we pray as we wrap up the time here together tonight that you'll continue to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.